The draft is done. 20 picks, a lot of arms. We're going to dig into all of the action from the last couple of days and the 2022 draft and the Marlins. Luckily, Eli Sussman is in the house to help me navigate all of the picks the fish have made. So it's going to be a deep dive on the draft on today's Locked On Marlins. You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings from the hottest place on the planet right now in England. It really is. And welcome to Locked on Marlins, the Tuesday edition. Uh, don't forget to follow me, of course, guys, on Twitter at Miami Marlins underscore UK. No TikToks, no Instas. And delighted to welcome onto the show the king of gifts, fish stripes, guru, Eli Sussman is in the house for his second appearance, I believe, but first time on YouTube. So, That's Eli, great. how are we doing, brother? Doing very well. I keep telling myself I was going to get my hair cut well in advance of this to look pretty. Instead, um, I'm 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 doing what I can with this, getting it out of the way so it's not too distracting for people. But it's a pleasure to be on with you, Peter. Awesome, mate. Thanks for making the time. And this is a full draft recap, draft summary, however you want to phrase it. We're going to pack it all in into one episode, single episode, thirty minutes max, including ads. So actually, that means it's about 25 minutes. We're going to try our best to navigate that. Um, a disclaimer before we get rolling. Um, I have no knowledge. <laughs> and I could use that disclaimer for many other episodes I do throughout the year. But for this one, the draft is not my speciality at all. And so I'm, I need to lean on guys. I need to lean on the knowledge and expertise that's out there and get give us a sense in terms of the way the Marlins have gone, what their overall strategy is, who we like, who are maybe a little bit doubtful on in picks? Who are the ones I'm most excited about? Those kind of themes. That's what we're going to get into today on the episode. Eli, let's let's start at the top, mate, because you know clearly the big names, the you know the pop out, the first overall pick for the fish, sixth overall in in the draft, but the number one pick, round one. It's been it's funny, you know, as you kind of get into this, you look back at the historic picks that the Marlins have made, and it's fair to say it's been a little bit patchy. Over the years, with their first uh, first round picks, um, we got to see one of them, um, the most one of the most recent ones anyway, uh, over the weekend. So Max Meyer made his debut, which was great to see. Um, but it's been a bit patchy. What was your take on this one in particular? So they went with a, a college bat. Um, in some some people's view, was this was perhaps the best college bat available? Um, it's up for debate, clearly. But what was your take on this one in general? In terms of college performance, you could not ask anything more of Jacob Berry, who they took yeah. a number six overall. The stats pop up off the screen. Um, I mean, not just the overall production, but the approach that he has. The very rare hitter these days has more walks and strikeouts. You didn't emphasize that Hallelujah. he's a bat. I wouldn't call him like a position player. He's just a bat. He's almost a <laughs> positionless bat. So he go. was announced as a third baseman. That's one thing to keep in mind with the draft is they always announce a particular position mm. to you. That doesn't mean they have to hold you to it. 
Um, but it shows you what the team is thinking. So they drafted him as a third baseman, a position that he has a little bit of experience with. But even when talking to the media afterwards, DJ Spillick, he's the conductor of this draft for the Marlins, the director of amateur scouting. Like he was, <laughs> he didn't exactly make us feel comfortable about him sticking at third base. He kind of deferred to the player. He's at the player is very confident that he can play that important position. I think the more likelihood is that he moves to DH or first base or a corner outfield spot. And ultimately, as long as he hits anything like he did in college, both with LSU and that's in that's in Louisiana, if you are not familiar, and the year prior to that, he was in Arizona, um, Arizona State. If he hits anything like that in the pros, they don't care what position he plays. He's extraordinary. He's a switch hitter. He's... Um, He's not particularly great physique for baseball. He's about six foot even. He's not okay. quite. He's not chiseled, you could say, as an as an athlete. But he just seems to be an extraordinarily gifted hitter that knows exactly what he needs to do to slug and how to get on base, how to do it from both sides of the plate. He's there are a lot of similarities to the JJ Blade pick three years prior. That was mm-hmm. a number four overall pick. So there are some some similarities there, and that's a pick that hasn't quite aged the way that you would love. Uh, I think once it's all said and done, the reason why I was kind of dissatisfied with this was more so about the other players that were on the board at the time, yeah. other college players such as Brooke Lee, Brooks Lee from Cal Poly and uh, Kevin Parada from Georgia Tech, players that would have a little bit more defensive value and uh, probably just as much, if not more, offensive upside if they tap into their abilities as well. I, I felt that this was, was in some people's opinions, a safe pick. I kind of have concerns that it might not even be completely safe just because of the lack of defensive position that he has. He's going to really have to just be a great hitter, continuing moving forward to to um, justify this decision because he's going to, as we'll get into, he's going to consume about half of their total spending in this entire draft class on one player. Half of their bonus pool will probably go to Jacob Berry. And that wow. means that he'll need to be a pretty consistent big leaguer in order to make them feel good about that further down the road. For sure. Do they expect to go under slot on this one? Can, you know, based on the fact that, you know, he's positionless, you know, he may have been expected to go a little bit further down, perhaps. Are they maybe expecting to go under slot, do you think, or more just kind of aligned to the number? Uh, to give the numbers, well, his slot value is a tiny bit over $6 million. And for the Marlins overall, when you include this little wiggle room that they have, they can spend about $11 million total to sign their players in the first 10 rounds of the draft. I think it was Joe Frasaro. When they made the pick shortly after, he seemed to be reporting that he'll get close to slot value. Um, based on the subsequent picks that they made, it does seem like they're going to try to get him a little bit under that $6 million figure. That's going to be very important. Um, as much as the draft is about talent, it, a lot of it is also about money. and It's about yeah. juggling this money uh, that Major League Baseball has put in what's pretty strict spending limits on what teams can can use to acquire younger players. And that's a whole different tangent we could go off on and whether that's a right choice or not, but that's the reality that we live in. And to mm-hmm. the Marlins credit, I think they've done a really creative job the last few years under DJ Stillick at using almost every sense that they have mm-hmm. and signing almost all the players that they, that they draft. Yeah, it's been one of the key takeaways when I've looked back on historic drafts and co- you know following the coverage subsequently is <clears throat> they've managed to get deals done. 
they've taken some picks. I mean, Khalil Watson last year, there's a kind of good example of that. They took, you know, a guy 16th um, overall. He was perhaps expected to go higher, um, you know, but they found ways to make the money work and to get him signed. There's been other situations, the drafts before that. So the Marlins have been good at making the money work for the talent that they've drafted. So I think it's been one of the one of the key attributes that they've done well, um, seemingly within this draft situation. So Jacob Berry um, goes at six overall. Um, the Marlins then, for the next nine picks, decide to go arm heavy, um, which I think was very intriguing. And equally, there's some players in there that subsequently I've seen some name, you know, the names buzzing on Twitter. And this is it, you start to kind of get you know, a couple of highlights, a couple of bits. But, Eli, what was your take more generally on the strategy to go nine arms on the bounce? Um, they actually went, I think, 12 arms on the bounce overall. But effectively, the first 10 rounds, it was a Jacob Berry and then nine arms to kind of uh, complement that. What was your take on that strategy overall? I wouldn't necessarily call it the strategy. Uh, <laughs> I think if you ask, they'll be pretty frank about that, that they, in most of these spots, they look for... In many cases, the best available, all the information they have. In other cases, as you get deeper, it's just about the best fit for your organization, guys that you feel you can get the most potential out of. So understandably, the concern that you're voicing that a whole lot of others are echoing is that this team, look at the team at the major league level, and they're very deficient offensively. And uh, you know that it's it's that doesn't need to go any further on that. They need offensive players. It's just that the amateur draft is not the place to go to address immediate needs on your major league roster. Even Jacob Berry, as polished a hitter as he comes, um, we're not going to see him in the majors until at least the end of 2023, more likely 2024, if everything goes right, realistically. Yeah. These guys are not immediate reinforcements for this year or for next year, and you no. never know what the higher levels of this farm system could churn out between now and then. You draft the guys the operation, the draft operation is loosely connected with the rest of the front office, but it's only a loose connection. You know, this is not Kim Eng hovering over all of it necessarily and like re relating it to the major league level. It's about allowing letting DJ Philick cook the way that he has been the last few years and pick the players that he feels a few years down the road are going to have more value than they had at draft time. And that either means that they're going to be valuable major league players for the Marlins, or they're going to be important trade chips for the Marlins to use. So he's just picking guys that he feel will be successful just to go through a few of these arms. I did highlight a few ahead of time because we don't, we don't have time to get into every single one of them. We don't, but we definitely don't. <laughs> the second pick, the one that went immediately after Barry was this high school pitcher, right-hander Jacob Miller from central Ohio. And he has, this is kind of a theme is that his most standout traits are his breaking balls. He's both a curveball and a slider coming along. And it's really a curveball that is already regarded as plus pitch that he has nice. uh, with all its attributes. And this is, we've seen this in previous years with the Marlins. And that's something that's continued in a lot of this draft class is they prioritize players that already have a standout breaking ball that they feel you go to the pros and at the very least, they're going to be able to create some swing and miss. And that gives them a higher floor than some other pitchers where they're not completely raw in that regard. So I'd expect him, the slot value for that pick is, I think, over one and a half million dollars. Mm. Um, not sure. Might need, might need more. All of that. 
But um, that he's a very significant part of this class. People noticed his post-draft interview on MLB Network. It was very short, but it was very it was impressive. Uh, I just liked the, it. Yeah, the sense of humor he showed and also the humility yeah. that he showed. That was a lot of fun. He was in the, at the draft in person in L.A., and that was a positive first impression for all the people who had no idea who he was prior to hearing his name come out. Um, the pick right after that, Carson Milbrandt. He's another right-hander, and he is one of the youngest players in this entire draft. He just turned 18 very recently. Um, somebody that seems even more raw than Miller does. He has the makings of having a starting pitcher's repertoire, but still needs to iron it out. And as Craig Mish put out, he seems to be the one player in these early rounds that will go over slot value if they are to sign him. Mm. Uh, I think the likelihood is that all these guys in the first two days are going to sign with very, very few exceptions. I think the Marlins are going to pay this guy what he wants, but it might be the slot value is 747,000. So if they're going to go over that, you're talking Mm. about a a million dollar player potentially in order to keep him away from his uh, college commitment. I think that he's a Vanderbilt commitment. But uh, the one other pitcher, two other guys I'll touch on really quickly from day two is the fourth rounder, Marcus Johnson out of Duke. And this was a snap reaction to this that I saw was pretty unpopular just because his numbers this season in college were terrible. He had an ERA close to six. He gave up a ton of home runs. And this was him. He'd been a reliever prior to that in college, and they gave him an opportunity to start. And clearly that transition had some ups and downs to it. But the stuff is pretty good on its own, and the projectability with him is what stands out. Um, There don't seem to be a whole lot of special athletes in this entire Marlins draft class, but he's probably at the top of the list. He's six foot six, but still has a lot of room to fill out. He's a skinny six foot six for now. and for a college player to still have room to grow in their body, which would presumably add velocity as well as help their durability moving forward, that's exciting. And mm-hmm. all of his all, all of his secondary pitches have are really tantalizing. Like you can see, they're using the right way and tweaked the proper way. He's going to get a lot of swings and misses. Um, the question with once you get to this point from like the fourth round below is you wonder if any of these guys are truly going to be starting pitchers or relief pitchers. That's yeah. obviously a very big difference. He seems to be one of the guys that I, I do like his upside a lot relative to the draft position that they got him at. And on my podcast, I think on Thursday, we'll talk about this. They picked a pair of guys from Louisiana tech university. Not they're not speaking confused with, LSU, Louisiana State, which is one of the bigger universities in all of the U.S. This is Louisiana Tech, which is like okay. a baby brother school. And they picked <laughs> two pitchers from this very small conference school, right-hander Kyle Krigger and left-hander Cade Gibson. And I'm going I'm to be speaking to somebody from that school about those guys in particular to get more info. But Krigger, their seventh-round pick, he has very filthy stuff. And he was using this weird role in college where they just almost every single game, it seems like he was pitching in relief. They just, they really uh, did not hesitate to use him in every single important game in the later innings. Um, but what makes him intriguing is that he seems to have some potential to be stretched out as a starter. And that's unusual. Usually if you're a full-time reliever in college, it's unusual for those guys to be, reverted to a starting role in the pros and actually have success in that role. But mm. just the diversity of pitches that he has 
uh, with a mid-90s fastball with an incredible breaking ball that gets a ton of sweeping action to it and got great swing and miss in college and a changeup that a changeup and a curveball as well. Oh my days. He had so many pitches that he couldn't really use all of them when pitching in relief or an ending into at the time. He is because he's an older player. Um, I don't think it's going to be a huge signing bonus number, but that's a name that stuck out in that if you dig deep into some of the draft analysts that I trust the most, they are very excited about Kyle Kricker in the seventh round. I've seen that name buzzing. It's one of them. Like I said, you, you do, you know, keep your eyes peeled and I have seen that name popping on Twitter. So interesting for sure. I, I mean, the, the general vibe I get is that like they've picked some nice arms. Some of them may profile better as relievers, but overall, particularly at the, at, at the top of the, of the draft in particular, they're, They've got some real high stuff guys and, you know, look like some, some interesting ideas just to go back to what you mentioned about the, the fact that they went with nine arms and, you know, there's clearly some offensive deficiencies at the big league level and maybe even a tier below that right now. Um, maybe as an organization perhaps, but I just wanted to be clear. I've absolutely no problem with that strategy for the fish. Like this one thing that we're good at, it seemingly is identifying pitching talent, and developing that pretty well. And so I'm all in. I kind of wanted them to go one hitter. I wanted to get Jacob Berry and then go 19 arms in a row. I thought that would have been sexy. I do want to mention people have short memory, but at the start of last year's draft, they went hitter, 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 hitter. I think six or seven in a row at the top of that draft. And those guys have had mixed results so far in the pros. Those were big investments, and I think they still believe in those guys. It starts from Khalil Watson, and it goes through a, a lot of college players as well. They're still confident in those players, and I think that explains why they didn't want to do that a second straight year. Yeah, There needs to be a balance, even at the lower levels of the minors and the middle levels, between both high-caliber hitting and pitching. I think that may have been a factor as well, understanding that they already had a lot of talent that aren't major league ready yet, but they invested a lot in just one year ago. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, There's some other thoughts, too, um, which... I think maybe legitimate, clearly, is the fact that the Marlins may need to unload some of their pitching at the maybe the higher to the mid levels of the of the the system right now, or you know whatever. Because again, as you know, come back to the point we made um, that you know there is some deficiencies, and so the Marlins are going to need to address this somehow. And one of the most obvious ways is clearly moving some of these arms. So maybe that is kind of the thought that some of the thoughts coming in here now is have they gone heavy on arms to, to restock a farm that perhaps looking to maybe empty slightly to go and get some, you know, major league hitting. Do you think there's any um, true? I'm not sure truth is the right word, but you know what I'm saying? Like, could you see that being one of the elements that are fed into this for taking so many arms or, you know, I guess there's so many different possible, possible answers to that. Right. A tiny bit. A tiny yeah. <laughs> that just feels inevitable anyway, doesn't it? With it does. It does. That they have. I, I don't feel that it's connected in that sense. That, that's just, they were going in that direction one way or the other, especially at this yeah. particular moment. We know getting close to getting more exciting armors, not just from the minors, but back from the injured list that were injured before. Yeah. And the ones that have pitched in their place have stepped up in a way that there is in a very pressing um, situation where the there's going to be an imbalance between the number of qualified pitchers they have squeezed onto the major league roster and the number of, of spots that they have for them. And the pieces of the current team, just it's not an optimal fit in this situation. We've seen that, how it, it just 
this team is not from the very beginning the construction of this team was a little fishy and it has played out in such a way that they're improved from a year ago but not as good as they're they could be if they made the right tweaks so regardless within the next couple of weeks i'm sure you're bracing for plenty of transactions because uh, to switch up the way that this team is comprised no doubt they do still have a good amount of pitching depth and depth that they can spare in order to address the obvious positions of need at the on the offensive side no doubt no doubt was it a wondering and thinking we are 20 minutes in and we still haven't had an ad so i'm going to drop the first ad of the day and they may come thick and fast there might be two almost back to back but nevertheless first ad of the day guys it's our good good friends over at bluenile.com and you can celebrate all of life's special moments from creating custom engagement rings of the dreams to gifting a classic and timeless you won't find at a traditional jeweler's so if you're thinking about popping the question or celebrating a milestone moment, find jewelry as unique as her with modern convenience of online shopping at BlueNile.com. So if you're thinking about engagement, they've got you covered. Simple online tools will let you choose the diamond shape, size, bigger is better, and clarity, as well as setting style. Blue Nile's jewelers will then handcraft her perfect engagement ring, each one, yes sir, one of a kind, bespoke. If you've already done it, if you've already got the ring on it, Thinking about special moments, then don't worry about it. Blue Nile also got you covered with fine jewelry. If you're having trouble choosing, don't worry. Blue Nile, they've got jewelry experts on hand 24 7. They're sitting by the phone just waiting for your call. Or if you need a chat, don't worry about it. Find your memorable gift at every budget. Here's the kicker right now you can make your moment sparkle with jewelry from bluenile.com. And Blue Nile anniversary sale is now fired up. You can save up to 40%. Four zero forty percent on fine jewelry pieces and twenty five percent on engagement ring settings. Boy, oh boy, that is huge discounts from the boys at BlueNile.com. Plus, listen, every order is insured, of course, as it should be. It ships free. It arrives in discreet packaging. It's not going to give away what's inside. So, shop stress free. Find your forever piece. Go to BlueNile.com today. Oh, baby. Blue Nile it is. I think Jazz Chisholm has been uh, shopping at BlueNile.com from what I've seen uh, based on his uh, his red carpet today. It's looking mm-hmm. absolutely sensational. Jazz is popping. Um, from a from the back end of the draft, so we've kind of had the final 10 rounds today. The Marlins didn't go 10 pitches today. Were there any stand pop to you? And how have you, and then when you piece it all together, how do you see this draft as a whole in totality? 20 picks, um, a lot of arms early. What's the standouts from today and how are you feeling about this draft overall? What do you see with, they did go back to some position players on the final day of the draft. How many do we have here? <laughs> it was beginning with the 13th pick with Chase Luttrell. He's a center fielder. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, two, three. I think they took a middle four, infielder. Five. I think they took, yeah. took a catcher. They took five out of the last 10 rounds. They went back to hitters. Um, and what I noticed about them similar to Barry is that they put a lot of trust in guys that simply performed in college. Mm. They're just banking on performance. And it's not always that simple conversion one way or the other. It does make it more difficult to criticize and second guess in hand, in hindsight, if you always go with somebody that's already proven. Um, if you want to go to the 18th round, this catcher, Spencer Bramwell, they've found him in a division two school out West. And he, as a catcher, he put up an OPS of 1195 this past oh season. He's only 1200. Is he related career, to Nick Fortes? Is he? It must yeah, be his brother. <laughs> his career numbers were similar to that as well. He's an older player. Uh, it's division two as well, but that's just an extreme example of them 
trusting in performance. I know there's some excitement about this 14th round pick, Torin Montgomery, who was in Missouri. So that's a bigger conference school. And he put up yep. an OPS right around 1,000 this past year with what seems to be really exciting power potential that didn't entirely translate in college, and yet he was able to be very productive. The one guy I really want to talk about in this final day was uh, their 17th round pick. His name is Evan Crest. He's a right-handed pitcher, um, 18 years old, had a high school. He's the smallest player in their draft class. He's listed at 5'11", 165, and he's a professional baseball player, potentially. But there you go. So the, this is going to be a big determinant in whether I feel their draft was successful or not, is whether they're able to sign him, because he's not a traditional 17th round pick. He's a player that has a commitment to go to Jacksonville University, and they're going to have to pay him uh, in the middle six figures, I imagine, to sign him. He's going to be one of the probably top five highest paid players in their class if they're able to make the money work and bring him to the pros. He reminds me of a 2019 pick they made who was right-hander Chris Machma, who was in a oh, yeah. very similar situation. He fell like to the 12th round. Um, there was a lot of question about whether he would sign or not because he had a college commitment as well. And they paid him, I think, $557,000 to bring him in the pros. The mm. results of that have not been great. We, so that's not a uh, an encouraging comp to make. This one, so he, as tiny as he is, he doesn't yet throw hard. His fastball mostly sits in like the high 80s to this point. But he really has promising a full, a really deep pitch mix. He has mechanics in such a way in an extension off the mound that makes it play faster than the radar gun would suggest. He just has so much potential mm -hmm. to fill out physically a little bit, maybe to grow a little higher than 5'11". You never know when somebody is still finishing up high school as well. The The tools are extremely exciting. I think it's a changeup that is the potential to be the big weapon that he has at the very least an above average pitch, but probably even more than that as well. So he's a bit of a project and will be an expensive project. Mm. That's the name that I was anticipating. I was anticipating them taking a swing like this during the final day of the draft. Yeah. And so there's, there's no guarantee they'll be able to sign him. Um, it's, I think the number is almost exactly 50, 50. The, the one person I need, a shout out here on draft coverage is Carlos Colazo of Baseball America. Um, he put out the number that right around 50% of high school players that go on the final day of the draft end up signing. So it's a coin flip with him. Uh, with the Marlins, more often than not, they've been able to juggle the money in such a way to bring him aboard. Mm. But he's he is a very critical piece of this draft class. And I think it's interesting. People can feel a lot better about the hole that they got if they are able to squeeze him in with in the resources that they have. I wonder, you know, again, <clears throat> when you piece it together with some of those earlier picks from, you know, more obscure schools or, or colleges, and and you think actually, can they maybe save a couple of hundred grand here and there or 50 grand here and there on these guys? And then you kind of like back it all up and you can then get this high school dude in, in the 17th round that's going to need, you know, let's say 300 grand or whatever it is to, to make a deal. So I, you know, this is it. It's how it all pieces together. And when, it, and when they've kind of made all these picks, it's like, right. Can, how can you take a flyer on a high school guy um, with that maybe 17th round? Like you said, it was, it was Mockbur in the 12th a few years ago. And I remember that pick and I remember them saying it felt like a good pick at the time. If they can get it done and get him signed, they did. 
Um, like you said, hasn't quite worked out on the field thus far, but you know, we'll wait and see. Um, let me do the final ad and then I'll come for your kind of overall summary, uh, Eli on this one. And, um, equally as well, if there was anyone that you didn't like, which maybe is probably hard to say at this stage, but nevertheless, let's finish up with our final ad of the day. It's our good friends, of course, over at Built Bar and it is coconut brownie chunk puff season. Say that fast if you can. So from the people who invented healthy and tasty comes the latest gift to your taste buds. You've probably tried the amazing Coconut Brownie Chunk Built Bar, but guess what? Your friends are built. They've got you covered with Coconut Brownie Chunk, the puff, puff treatment for it. Yes, sir. So that's right. Coconut Brownie Chunk Built Puff flavor you love in a deliciously chewy marshmallow covered in 100% real chocolate. It's like a fluffy cloud of coconut brownie goodness. Boy, oh boy. Listen, I'm going to start a petition right now. Built Bar, you need to send some of these over to the UK. They don't ship to the UK. What the hell? They need to start that right now because these sound amazing. I am drooling. They sound amazing. They're good for you. Low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and of course, delicious. So how do they get them? So that's the first thing. Go to built.com. Use promo code LOCKED15 as LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. Reminder, LOCKED15, 15% off your order at built.com. All right, then, Eli. Overall summary from your perspective of the mile and what's the grade? Let's kind of you know boil it down if we can. Everyone likes a grade summary and grade for you on the 22 draft for the fish. I knew you would ask that, which is why I came up with some letters in my mind about it. I knew, yeah, exactly. It's easy to boil it down. It's like you know, it's like war, right? It's it's just a number that we can all kind of turn to and go, was it good? Was it bad? Yeah, great. There were some consistencies here that I like to see with rewarding, trusting in the hitters that performs in college on the pitching side, trusting in the pure stuff, but more so like the secondary stuff, not even chasing fastball velocity as Mm. well. That seems to be a bit of a swerve away from the rest of the industry where almost none of these guys have exceptional velocity, but it's all the other ingredients that they feel make them effective, give them different looks. You hear about that a lot when you talk about pitching staffs in the big leagues. They took a, a couple nice swings in the final day of the draft as well. And they just, in general, it just feels like they went with players that they trust that can develop properly. So I was, for reasons I explained, I'm not happy with the way they started it with uh, Jacob Berry. I thought there could have been better value there. Um, and as I mentioned at the end, I think a really critical swing piece is this 17th round pitcher that they selected out of high school. And whether he signs or not, Evan Crest. So I will... If they sign Evan Crest and everybody else in this class, if they go 20 for 20, I would give it a B plus. I think it was a good draft if they do that. If they whiff on Evan Crest, I think it's almost a full letter grade down. It's more like a C plus. It's kind of middle of the pack where they got a lot done, but it's still not quite enough upside that you'd ideally want from this kind of haul when drafting early. And so for the moment, I think you split the difference. And I would say it's a B minus. They did some... They did some nice things here. Uh, they salvaged what I thought was a kind of questionable start to it as well. Mm. And uh, I don't think the casual fans are going to be super excited about it just because there's not a ton of bats in the in the middle there. Uh, overall, this was fine, especially for a team that they traded the draft pick before. They didn't have as much resources as they're accustomed to when you're usually drafting number six overall. And they did an adequate job of making it work. You make a good point. I completely forgot about the fact that they traded away their comp pick 
Which deal was that part of? I've forgotten which deal that was, the trade they made in the offseason. Can you recall? That, that was the Tanner Scott-Cole Solster trade with the Orioles. There you go. It was the Orioles trade. That's right. I remember them trading it away, but I can't remember who too. We obviously made a ton of trades. So, um, yeah, that was – was it a uh, a second-round comp pick? I can't recall specifically where it was. I feel like it was. So you know. Number 67 overall, I believe. Yeah. And the value of that was more than $2 million. And they're both, wow. both something like that. I'll have to double check the number. Four. It was definitely <laughs> over a million dollars in, in wiggle room. It made a significant difference. It was a handicap, no doubt, for the whole draft team going into this one. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I remember um, Craig Mish talking about that trade specifically at the time, saying, you know, yeah, okay, a couple of pieces went back. But actually, it was that pick specifically then they valued on, um, you know, that managed to get a deal done. And let's kind of, you know, you know, look at that trade now with some hindsight. It was a good trade. Like the Marlins absolutely needed it. And, um, you know, Scott in particular, Salsa as well, kind of flashed early. Um, has obviously been on the aisle since. But, you know, Tanner Scott has been um, adventurous and, and relatively effective <laughs> in the closing role for sure. Um, one final one. I just wanted to get your take on the situation with Khalil Watson, actually, kind of because obviously the big, the big draft pick from last year slid um, down the draft. The Marlins pulled the trigger at 16. Um, many of us at that point kind of saying, wow, the Marlins have won this draft no matter what they do next um, because the talent, the tools was, were amazing. Um, he started well, Khalil Watson. It felt like he started fast. And then, you know, there's some growing pains and clearly had been some kind of discipline stuff going on. So what's your general assessment of Khalil Watson, where he sits in this kind of Marlins system, organization? Um, clearly, you know, there's some problems, but... Uh, you know, you'd think you'd like to think they can find a way through that. Yeah. And I expect them to try to be patient and try to try to salvage it as, as best as they can. It's only been one year since he fell to them. As you said, it's only been a few months since he was raking at the low a level as one of the younger yeah. players at that level. It was evident though, not that much later as really a few weeks into the season, it was evident that there were some things to work on with his approach offensively. And clearly the way that he has reacted to failure has been unacceptable. They've set rules for how he's supposed to conduct himself on and off the field. And he has repeatedly violated those rules. And that's how you get to this punishments. It seems to send him away from the team from what's been several weeks at this point. Mm. But that doesn't mean that it's over. He's still just 19 years old. And they, I think people still need to be patient with him. You don't want to panic, give up on this type of player that is exceptionally talented and who they felt so highly about just one year ago. Not everybody from front office one year ago is still here after Jeter's exit and Gary Denbo's exit, but some of them are. And yeah. I think he still has a lot of allies in this organization that are just trying to get through to him as, as much as possible. As, as we heard from Craig Mish's reporting, even from Alex Carver of Fish on the Farm, they're doing some unconventional things to try to get him to focus on what's most important in developing as a player. I, I still like him a lot as as a prospect. Yeah, me too. And yeah, just just fingers crossed because they they really did put a lot of trust in him. I, I'm not panicking at this very moment, but I understand why people are disappointed in the way that that's gone and. Yeah, I, I think just just hopefully over time and with the right voices in his ear, he'll get back on track. I'm with you. Completely agree on that one. Um, one final one. I said that was the final one. I'm about five minutes over already, but I have to ask you because we're talking drafts. J.J. Bladé 
fourth overall pick a um, few years back, 2019, I believe that was for football today, if I recall correctly, losing track of years with all these lockdowns anyway. Bladé, for me, I, I get the sense that it is Bladé season very, very soon. It has to be because just it is not the outfield just in general has been a bit of a black hole for the fish this year, unfortunately, at the major league level. Bladé, the power's there. Okay, there's still some concerns, but, you know, he's going to be making his – they've got Max up there. I think we're looking at Bladé in the next, like, you know, week or two. At the latest, like, straight after the deadline, I think Bladé is going to be up. What about you? <laughs> yeah, unless they trade him, and I do, <laughs> I'm gonna put I'm gonna put an article on on tomorrow that you'll you'll see. Oh. I I think there's one like one scenario that could make sense to trade him. I don't expect that to happen. Oh, I, I do expect them to call him up as as you illustrated. Uh, they it's been a big weakness for him, and even center field. Uh, he has surprised me that in center field as they have, considering that he has mm. some you know agility instinctual limitations as a defender, but they need all the help that they can get at center field and at right field. Uh, the fact that he's lefty, uh, that he's a lefty bat, that even makes it easier to fit in as a compliment to Avi Garcia. If you want to platoon them, like even if it's awkward to play him every single day, he, he does, there's not a whole lot else that he's going to learn in the minor leagues. I think he, he is what he is. And he's made some interesting adjustments during pro ball. I know that people aren't, overwhelmingly satisfied with it compared to what he what they were dreaming of coming out of the draft he yeah. still is one of the better prospects in this organization um and i think um I, i'm excited about him I, I am excited to see him in the big leagues in the very near future i hope that they call him up and that they recognize what's most important which is um, putting together trying to make this offense if not for this year, at least for next year, just get a clearer idea of who these yeah. integral pieces are going to be. He deserves an opportunity to prove himself. Yeah, I'm with you. I I think I may have been even more bullish talking about him yesterday on the show. I, I think I was maybe even saying he should be up for, for Thursday's game. Like, it's kind of just get him up there now. Like, we, I think we've all seen enough, and it's time, um, particularly after that week. I mean, it was just a turgid week. It was just actually a turgid... It's been a turgid month, like, in general. They've... They've won games, but the offense in general has been so poor. Um, I think it's time to, to to shuffle the deck in the outfield particularly. Um, so we'll wait and see on that, how they go. I, I think they do need to make a move sooner rather than later. Um, but we're out of time. Eli, I have to say, firstly, I want to thank you for joining me on the show and giving us your insight, your knowledge, your thoughts, feedback on this draft. I would have been totally lost. Imagine me trying to do this show solo. I mean, it would have been an absolute car crash. So... <laughs> I would have I would have talked about Khalil Watson and uh, and JJ Bladé. I'd have, okay on that, and, you know, mm -hmm. maybe a bit of Berry talk. But nevertheless, Eli, thank you, and I think all the listeners equally will be really enjoying this content. Um, yep. So I hope they do. Please comment and let us know your thoughts. Equally, if you disagree with Eli, wouldn't be the first time that's happened. So um, you know, let us know what you're thinking. But um, I'm, I'm grateful for you joining me. Um, that is us done for Tuesday's episode. But one final thing, Eli, before we let we let everyone go, where can they find you, your team, your content? If indeed they're wondering who the hell is Eli Sussman, which I'd be shocked if anyone's thinking that right now. You just get your fingers out and you type in fish stripes where, wherever you type, wherever you are, whatever social media you're on, whatever web browser you use, you will find us pretty easily covering all things Miami Marlins fishstripes.com, I guess, is the easiest way to organize all that stuff. 
for our current coverage of the major league team, minor league team, historical context, opinions, and exclusive reporting, and silly game shows. And for the, for better and worse, we are all Marlins all the time at Fish Stripes. And you, I guess you can find me personally if you choose to at on Twitter at real Eli E L why they gave me a check mark for some reason so that make might, might make it easier for you to find me over there as well as always peter so grateful to talk with you about about anything it's awesome absolutely absolutely brother i really appreciate it guys i hope you've enjoyed that episode i really 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 do I hope you episode and everything that eli has thrown out there i think it was it was a i mean we've gone 40 minutes there's 20 picks that is Two minutes per pick, effectively. Plus, we've talked about Blood A and Watson and a few ads and an intro. I think we've done pretty well. But the time has come to sign out. We're out of here. Thank you for making Locked On Marlins your first listen of the day. And if you are thinking about your second listen of the day, don't forget MLB Prospects. Locked On MLB Prospects is also available for you for your second listen of the day. Lindsey Crosby is hosting that one. And boy, oh boy, he has been pumping out content. He has been, I mean, he's been 24 content machine there on uh, Locked On MLB Prospects. So, Go and check it out. Lindsey Crosby doing his thing. But that's me and Eli signing out. I am back tomorrow, Wednesday, and Sean Barrett is back in the house. And we're going to be getting into some fashion conversations, talking about Jazz Chisholm and Starling Marte and their outfits on the red carpet. Perfect. Perfect. In the meantime, back tomorrow. Appreciate Eli. Go fish.